Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Last Moment 10. I tell you, Jeremiah, we're fucked. Duke Haggard poured himself half a glass of wine, thought better of it, and filled it near to the brim. He shook his head. Fucked. The party had thinned considerably, and the hour was late. Few delegates remained in the high hall. Those that didn't retire went to continue the party amongst the dwarven bonfires. Perhaps that was why Haggard felt he could speak more candidly. Well, the wine's not helping, Jeremiah thought, as if he was one to talk. He had been drinking steadily all night with the duke, reminiscing about old times and simpler days. Come now, friend, Jeremiah said, patting his old patron on the shoulder. It can't be as bad as you think. You're right, Haggard sniffed. It's worse. Far worse. We've 12,000 men to field in all of Edern, and King Stennis insists on keeping half his forces in the Pontar Valley, to ward off potential Kedweni treachery. Haggard glanced at Sir Hennard, who had been scowling at Jeremiah the whole evening. Not that I blame the caution, of course, but how are we supposed to defend Vengerberg with just 6,000 men? Well, that's what the summit's for, to get aid from the north. Jeremiah knew that was a faulty response the moment he said it. He knew little of continental politics, but knew enough to know that, barring a cataclysmic event, a stable northern alliance was about as likely as Ethramel accepting Dwan rule. Haggard put his hands in his head. Aye, another headache to pile on. The Kedweni delegation's not even here yet, and already I fear an impasse. They'll not give their aid to us freely. They'll demand we cede the Pontar Valley to them, which the king has instructed me to defend to the last. Tamaria's in the same situation as us, and needs every soldier they can get. And Redania? Who knows? King Radovid the Stern is an enigma. Jeremiah bit his lower lip, and again patted Haggard's shoulder. He hated to see his best friend in such a state. The craftsman sighed and looked around the room. No one was within earshot, thank the fire. Jeremiah frowned at the expression. Spending too much time around the church, he thought. But the church did provide its benefits. Like, what would you say if I told you I had something to help Edern fight Nilfgaard? Haggard looked up from his wine glass, his eyes red-rimmed and bloodshot. You've a mercenary army of 10,000 you've neglected to tell me about? Not quite, but as it happens, I'm working on a weapon that may change the tide of war as we know it. It simply needs to reach the right hands. What have you gone and invented now, Jeremiah? Not another chemical bomb, I hope, that will do little more than set my workshop on fire. Jeremiah chuckled at the memory. Not quite. It's a repeating crossbow, which... Were you going to go all night without talking to me? Yana stood over the craftsman, 
hands on her hips, a wry smile screwed onto her face. She hasn't aged a damn day, Jeremiah thought. Nearly two decades had passed since he last saw Yana on the streets of Vengerberg. I was waiting for you to make the first move. You seemed so busy, talking to my companions all night. Ah, so I was. Yana drew up a chair and sat. But now I wish to speak to one of my oldest friends. What are the odds, Hagrid said to Jeremiah, bemused. Two of your friends serving on the Adernian delegation. Odds so low I wouldn't bet on them, Jeremiah thought, but grinned and said, I'm truly a blessed man. Hagrid talks about you all the time, you know, Yana said. It seems you two got into a few adventures since our time. More than you'd like to know. On the contrary, I wish to catch up. My dear Duke, if you wouldn't mind excusing us? Now, don't put on that face. I allowed you your private time with him, did I not? I simply wish to have the same courtesy. You're right, as usual, Lady Yana. Duke Haggard stood up in as dignified a fashion as he could muster. He held his hand against his chair to steady himself. I must be off to bed anyway. Much to be done tomorrow, though the summit won't start for a few more days. Gods, how I wish it was over already. Good night, Jeremiah. We must continue our conversation about this crossbow later. We will. Good night, Haggard. Haggard motioned to Sir Hennard, and the knight flashed Jeremiah one more venomous glance before escorting the duke out. The poor man, Yana said as she watched them leave. Duke Haggard received your letter from Ashford, of course, about Lady Sibylia's betrayal of Edern. Haggard didn't have the heart to tell Sir Hennard. It will have to be a matter that's dealt with after the war, I'm afraid. Probably for the best. How are you, Yana? How many years has it been? Eighteen, and nary a letter from you. I would never know where to send it. You travel too often. Pot calling the kettle black. You're a hard man to track, Jeremiah Keller. And it seems you've accrued some strange companions along the way. Jeremiah looked around the high hall. The only one of his companions still around was Zevo, and he was busy drinking and taking fist tech with Duchess Isabel at the other table. Jeremiah turned back to Yana, and again marveled at her appearance. Not a day older than when he first met her as a boy of fourteen. Yana still looked thirty the age of Jeremiah's older sister, Emma, when she took a fall from her horse and remained that age forever after. A sorceress in her own way, Jeremiah thought bitterly, but Emma remains only in my memory, nowhere else. The last of the Kellers didn't want to think of such things. He drank more wine and wiped his lips with the back of his hand. You spent all night talking to my companions, he said to Yana. Ethramel, Zevo, Carminiola, even Tabek. Each was blessed with your singular attention for a time. What did you discuss? Is that suspicion I hear in your voice? No, just concern. They're not all what you think. Yana covered her mouth and laughed. I'm well aware. That's why I offered them a job. I think they're all particularly well suited for what I need. And what is it you need? The sorceress smiled. I need something very important recovered. I asked them all to join me at the Stoneworks Inn tomorrow at noon for more information. Maddeningly vague, as always, Jeremiah thought. Yana had been that way for as long as he could remember. She had saved Jeremiah once from a city guard who caught him pickpocketing and beat him senseless. Yana had seemed a hero at first to the young Jeremiah. Then she demanded half of what he pickpocketed. Jeremiah negotiated it down to 40%. Yana agreed, but added that he would also owe her a favor for later. When asked what the favor was, she wouldn't say only that it would be of great importance. As far as Jeremiah knew, he still owed Yana that favor. Yana whispered, I'd like you to join your companions tomorrow, Jeremiah. I need your help. I wouldn't be asking if it wasn't important. Of course, Jeremiah said without hesitation. 
Yana was his oldest friend, and had saved his life on more than one occasion when he was a teenager scrambling to survive on the streets of Wengerberg, before Dukagor took him in and taught him a trade. I'll be there. Thank you. Yana took Jeremiah's hands and nodded. Thank you. The craftsman stood up and stifled a burp. I think that's my cue to retire for this evening. It's good to see you, Yana. I can't wait to catch up properly after all this. We will. I need to find out how you came across such a noticeable scar on your face. Would you like me to cover it up for you? Yana waved her hand across the side of Jeremiah's face. I think not. It would mar my rugged good looks. So it would. Good night, Jeremiah. Jeremiah stumbled past the sea of bonfires. Several still burned brightly, and dwarves, humans, halflings, gnomes, and elves alike all danced and sang around them. Jeremiah thought he saw Tabek singing with the Skelligans, but wasn't sure. He entered the trader's quarter and looked around. Yana mentioning the Stoneworks Inn reminded him. That was the very inn he and his new crafting partners had agreed to stay at. He found it and walked into the common room, wanting nothing more than a glass of water and a soft bed. Instead, he found the common room empty, save for Ezra of Nilfgaard. She sat alone by the dying fire in the hearth. Jeremiah thought to sneak past and go to bed. Instead, he walked over to Ezra. I see I'm not the only one burning the midnight oil. Ezra stared at the fire's dying embers, and did not look up at the craftsman. I don't sleep that well. She spoke in a low, muted tone. The fire snapped. Jeremiah scratched at his beard, again unsure of what to say. This was unlike the energetic Nilfgaardian he had met earlier that morning. Er, I find tea helps me with that. Tried it. Little works. How was your party? Very fruitful, I think. Ezra nodded. We'll be testing the crossbow prototype tomorrow morning, yes? Bright and early. Then fix any issues we come across and go from there. The Nilfgaardian continued to stare into the dying flames. Jeremiah coughed. Well, I'm off to bed. Good night, Ezra. You northerners think all Nilfgaardians are just bloodthirsty monsters, Ezra whispered, but the last two wars have hurt us just as much as they hurt you, perhaps even more. Now it was Jeremiah who had nothing to say. He simply rented a room, drank a glass of water, went upstairs, and slept a dreamless sleep, like a man who had slowly started to accrue more and more debt. 11. Duchess Isabella Bartberg rubbed more fist tech on her gums and handed her snuff box to Zevo. It was a simple wooden case, with no adornments or sigils. It fit Isabel well. She was never one for ostentation. I remember my surprise when I first saw you in the Vartberg court, Zevo said, feeling more talkative than he had in years. He told himself it was because of the fist tech. Wearing a light green gown, your hair done up like a honeycomb, jewels on all your fingers. In all those months at sea, I'd never seen you wear anything other than a white cotton shirt. Isabel snorted. That was my father's doing. He always insisted I look my finest when in front of the nobles, all trussed up like a doll. I put an end to that practice once I took over. She swallowed pomino wine, imported from the Duchy of Toussaint. I recall you looking quite different yourself. Hair clipped, clean linens thrown on you. She wrinkled her nose. And freshly bathed. Quite uncommon for you. An uncommon tradition I've followed ever since, any time I can. I did think it was a strange way to prepare me for an execution, though. Zevo was prepared to die that day over two decades ago. He had been arrested for abducting a young duchess and taking her to sea. 
The Witcher didn't know what they were talking about, of course, but that was the way things always worked in court. I always appreciated your pardon. Isabel sneezed and wiped her nose with a napkin. Well, I couldn't have let you die, could I? You were bound to me for three years, after all, by your own oath. Silence settled over them. Zevo coughed and drank more pomino. Isabel pinched more fistech between her thumb and forefinger, then dropped it back into the snuff box. Did you enjoy the party? She finally asked. Zevo didn't, but he nodded. I saw you speaking to a beautiful woman earlier. Zevo sputtered and wiped wine from his mustache. I. She approached me about a job. Ah, so you won't be too bored here after all. What's the job? Zevo wasn't entirely sure. He liked little about the woman, who set his witcher medallion off the moment she stepped in front of him with two glasses of wine. Her name was Yana, and she knew Zevo's name without asking. She asked if he would meet her at the Stoneworks Inn tomorrow at noon for the details of a job. Zevo agreed, though he muttered something about all sorceresses being vague. Yana didn't deny that she was a sorceress. Instead, she laughed and said, You're something of an enigma yourself, Zevo of Kavir, a witcher who claims to be solitary and neutral in the affairs of men, large and small, a witcher who supposedly lives by the tenets of the path, and yet, in the past three decades, has gotten himself entangled with Hansas, bandits, pirates, and Scoriatel commandos. Am I missing any others? She was not. Sevo quickly excused himself after that. I'll find out more about the job tomorrow, he said to the Duchess. Isabel sighed and ran a hand through her dark hair. Still, she was beautiful. Sevo didn't say anything. I think that's enough for the evening, don't you? Isabel stood up. Would you mind escorting me back to my camp? A lady shouldn't leave a party alone, you know. Sevo grunted and offered his arm. Isabel took it, and they stumbled through the halls together. A few bonfires burned low at this early morning hour, but most of the revelers had collapsed on top of each other and fallen asleep. Crack Ross was strangely quiet. Zevo was used to such quiet, had experienced it most of his life, and felt comfortable in it. But now he wished for noise, anything to distract his mind. Isabel leaned her head against Zevo's shoulder as they walked. She whispered, I would have given up my title for you, you know. Zevo wished for noise anything to distract from his broken oath. And given up ruling the Duchy of Wartburg, I would have been the first to advise you against it. I didn't need it. The titles or the courts or the expensive clothes. We could have sailed off and never come back. But I left, Zevo thought, completing Isabel's unfinished sentence. That's not quite right. I abandoned her. I abdicated my oath. Gave three months instead of three years. Zevo said, It would have been nice. Yes. Isabel nestled her head deeper into Zevo's shoulder. Her eyes, the witcher noticed, were closed. Why did you leave, Zevo? It was still so damned quiet. Zevo felt as if the whole mountain could hear their conversation. Zevo paused and looked up at the ceiling, lost in the darkness. There surely was an end to it somewhere, right? I suppose, he said slowly. I didn't know what else to do. I'm not good at watching people I care about grow old and die. No one's good at that, Zevo, but we can't live in fear of it either. We could have had twenty good years together. Does that mean nothing? Of course not. It's just... Zevo struggled not to mention the path. The plowing, endless path that all witchers were destined to follow and die on. I'm sorry, Isabel, but I'm not made to settle down. Isabel stepped away from Zevo. She stood straight and proud and looked the witcher in the eye. You can be more than you were made to be, Zevo. He broke eye contact, 
unable to look at the woman he'd abandoned. After a moment's pause, Isabel said, That's all. I can walk back the rest of the way. Sleep well, Zevo of Kavir. Zevo struggled to say, Good night, Isabel. But he did, and he left her. That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.